You're listening to Have the Conversation Podcast, a podcast centered around mental health, wellness, and everything in between. I'm Kala. And I'm Leanne. We're sitting down with everyday people to talk about life and the lessons they've learned, all in an effort to connect and stay encouraged. This week, Leanne and I sat down with Nicole Muzzy and Nicole Carrion, the co-owners of Nobility Wellness, to discuss mental health and emotional wellness within their practice. Nobility Wellness takes an interest in working with individuals, families, and communities in various specialty areas ranging from anxiety and perfectionism, complex trauma, PTSD, and more. If you're struggling, please reach out to someone you trust. Healing isn't linear, and we know one size does not fit all. For additional information and resources following this episode, be sure to check out our various social media communities. We're wishing you all balance and healing in your journey. Enjoy this one, y'all. So we're, we're super low, low key. There is no format here. We just want to get to know you. We want to know about what you guys are doing at Nobility Wellness, um, how your story, how you came in to be um, in the positions that you're in and how you two met. I mean, we can kind of start from wherever if someone wants to, to start. Okay. Yeah, rock, paper, ahead. scissors, if you want. <laughs> yeah. Ah, rock, yes. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm Nicole Carrion. And so I'm one of the um, co-owners of Nobility Wellness Services. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, I have been doing therapy um, in a variety of settings for oof, about six Yeah. Yeah. Five, six years um, right now. And so did a career change into that and been doing that. Um, now we're working together in private practice. Um, and I mean, really, that's kind of about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into more specifics yeah, about we- like what we do. Nicole, what's your background? Yeah, I'm Nicole Muzzy. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed alcohol and drug counselor. So the other co-owner. So I go by Muzzy. She goes to carry on. That's how we mm-hmm. keep it's each less other. confusing. Yeah, how we separate yes. and know who we're talking to and about. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, Nicole and I have worked together uh, since grad school. Mm-hmm. Like, we've just followed each other around. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I would say some intentional, and some of it was probably not intentional, the following. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. nobility was intentional. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's hope so. I love that. Right, right. What got you interested in your specific like niches? Like Muzzy, you said that you were into, um, I guess, like substance abuse counseling. Um, what what got you interested in that? So yeah, I started out as a licensed, or I started out as a, I got my undergrad in alcohol and drug counseling, and so didn't even know that that was a thing. Started out in journalism, had kind of like a an early life crisis, like not knowing what I wanted to do, thinking journalism probably wasn't going to be uh, where I was going to land. So I took some time off and then um, found out about, you know, addictions counseling. And yeah, so I started out just some personal experience, family history, and then just really, um, you know, wanting to get into the helping field. Yeah. That's That's been a specialty since then, yeah. obviously, right? But, and then for grad school, mm-hmm. um, really, it was just, I had a coworker who was like, this is what I'm doing. And I was like, that sounds good. <laughs> I just applied. So I'm glad that I chose this license. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because there's so many different licenses that, that you could have 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you, and um, Karen, you went with um, marriage and family counseling. What led you to that? Yeah, I, you know, I had worked in corporate, the corporate world um, after getting my bachelor's degree and I was in the insurance industry, actually health insurance. And so, you know, it got to a point where it was like, okay, same as, you know, Muzzy was talking about, this is something that I want to continue to do you know, for the rest of my life. And so just really pursued, okay, what can I, you know, look into in the mental health field? And so, yeah, this, this program came up. A lot of people where I worked also attended this program. Uh, and then there was really a couple different paths we could have gone, both Nicole and I at this school that we attended. And so marriage and family therapy, I really liked the, like the systems aspect of it and incorporating, um, there's a huge focus on like incorporating you know, not just the individual self, but everyone that's involved in that system. And I just think that is such a huge component of mental health um, and well-being. And so that's, you know, honestly, what really steered me to this licensure path. So when you say system, do you mean like a, like a family unit kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's one system. Uh, You know, we look at everything, career path, you know, career is a system. We look at pretty much you know, what entails like workplace friendships, the entire individual's mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Yep. As the entire yeah. system. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a, there's <laughs> a lot of systems going on. <laughs> you guys are busy. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. But that's essentially how we, how we met. Uh, we were, we were doing our, I was actually working at the same place that Nicole already was in substance use um, disorders. And so, uh, and then from there on out is where our friendship really kind of blossomed and grew from there. And so you guys decided to go and start your own practice together. What's that been like? Uh, yeah. Oh, I can talk about this. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'll talk in right after. <laughs> so every year, probably since like our, like right before graduation, I've been trying to convince Nicole to open the oh. practice with me. In grad school, uh, before, so, you know, we can't practice as a therapist until we're licensed or Mm -hmm. out of grad school and have a supervisor. So I was trying to think of, like, how can we just work for ourselves (laughs) without, you know, all the red tape and everything, like, right now. So I was dating at the time. I had just gotten divorced. I was, (laughs) like, what if we uh, started a coaching practice for, for men who don't have enough confidence and you know we can give them like the girlfriend experience <laughs> I didn't think about how yeah. and, I, like, and Nicole looked at me and was like that's interesting and her husband is like no that's expert and I was like what that didn't cross my mind <laughs> yes. Yes. so uh, we've evolved we have mm-hmm. yep. a long way yes but yeah, so it's been at like once a year since yeah, graduation. Nice. I'm like, okay, nice. are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? And I'm Years. like the mm-hmm. aim fire type of, or fire aim type sure. person. She likes to like walk around the target and like make sure that it's <laughs> really check it out and understand it first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. So it took me a few more years um, <laughs> to, to, you know, of making those circles, right? <laughs> to make sure that. We, we can do this. We have everything set. So yeah, it was, we're almost two years now. Yeah. Wow. Two years. We're kind of coming in up November. on our yep, two yep. year anniversary. 
Uh, and it's been it's been really exciting to you know kind of circle back. Uh, you know, it's been challenging at times and in different ways, right? Uh, overall, I, I think Nicole and I we work really well together. Our strengths are so different, uh, and we both can identify that mm-hmm. and accept it. <laughs> Preach, we <laughs> understand. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think that's what has really been a positive when it comes to building this business. So you mentioned some of the challenges. Um, what what are some of the challenges that you guys have faced with opening this practice together? Uh, you know, like so exactly what Nicole said earlier, the whole um fire and like let's go. Uh so there's been some some situations where it's been like, you know, I'll come into the office and we have a new like business planning vision. Uh, and I'm like, can oh, relate. I'm like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, when when did this happen? And you know, Nicole would be like, actually <laughs> when I couldn't sleep. I'm like, okay. And this is us now. Right. She's like, I haven't even had my coffee. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we'll go get it. Sit down. Yes. <laughs> yes. You'll want to sit down yep. for this. <laughs> so I stuff like that, you know, and great ideas and strategies but it's like you know we'll be taking a step back and kind of looking at what that all entails i would say is something that you know we've had challenges with what comes to mind when you think of the challenges getting you to agree to do things yeah. <laughs> getting her to agree to do yeah. things <laughs> yes yeah yeah i mean because this is it yeah. feels it this is like a marriage right yeah. like it's you know and yeah yeah sometimes i forget but I should talk to you. Right. Yeah, we just started calling each other life partners. So we get the whole marriage. Yeah, we totally understand. Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay, so you guys, did you start as a, not the girlfriend experience, obviously, because I'm sure you steered away from that, but did you want to start as a focus with just males and then kind of branched out from there or, or how did, how did it come to be? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yes. There are a few pivots since that idea, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, trauma. So we, we specialize in trauma, both of us. So do <laughs> so we. It's moved from like kidding. building confidence and dating. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. Um, also because Nicole was married, so that wouldn't depend. Right. It's inappropriate. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we both where we did our internships for grad school mm-hmm. was a an opiate replacement treatment center and so there's a lot of trauma mm-hmm. in that population and so that's just kind of where it, where we stuck yeah so yeah trauma i mean complex ptsd um just trauma in general right i mean there's so much that entails a you know a traumatic experience for somebody and so yeah that's really where we yeah attachment trauma yeah. is I was looking on your website and I saw that like some of the specializations that you guys kind of focus on, I've heard of anxiety and depression. Usually those go kind of hand in hand, but, um, one of your points was anxiety and perfectionism and, um, asking for a friend. (laughs) How do you you even begin to like, I, I thought perfectionism was just kind of like a, a preference. Um, I didn't know it was something that's like very treatable. Um, how, like, how would you treat somebody with, with perfectionism as, as an issue? 
Well, the first step is always acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question real quick in line with this? Yeah. I'm just so curious. Do people come to you knowing that they're perfectionists or is this something that comes out in treatment or both? That's a great question. Both. Both. Usually, yeah. okay. usually people kind of know that that might be something, right? But like their definition mm-hmm. of perfectionism might be different than maybe like how we're viewing perfectionism and how that like can affect anxiety levels. So being able to talk mm-hmm. through that with a person can be can be challenging sometimes, like reframing the definition and, and how that might mm-hmm. be affecting and, and creating limitations. What what would be y'all's definition for somebody who comes in? Oh gosh. It you know, honestly, it varies and it, it shows up differently depending on the individual and, you know, their background. It's so, uh, I think, again, really being able to notice like, okay, well, what is impacting, you know, various areas of their life? I mean, really, when you think of perfectionism, it, it's going to be impacting several areas mm-hmm. um, and coming out. And so we both have very different, I would say, styles of therapy and how we address it. So again, I mean, it's hard to answer because it's, it shows up differently mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. I think a common one that I hear is like when people come in talking about procrastination. Sure. Right. Yeah. So it's because a lot of times when we think, oh, I'm not good at finishing projects or like I get started on something, but if mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not good at it, like I just, I don't want to do it or I avoid it. Right. So when I hear about avoidance, um, especially mm-hmm. with like tasks or schoolwork or life changes really um that's where my little you know flag goes up and I'm like oh I wonder if we should explore this a little bit right Right? I mean I think I'm gonna share I'm gonna self-disclose you're gonna be upset but so so, but I mean I think we both in grad school we had supervisors talk like say like why do you think you're such a perfectionist I think we were Mm -hmm. I remember being like I don't know if you know me but that is not how anyone would describe me um, but yeah, I mean, I think my understanding of it too has really changed. And so if you do think that somebody struggles with that, does the, the process for kind of like healing from that change person to person, or is there kind of like a process you take them through? Yeah. Yeah. So my process, uh, the type of therapy that I do is EMDR. And so it's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And so when we look at perfectionism, the, the path that I typically will go with that is, okay, let's look at like the, the negative core belief, such as, for example, like I, you know, I must be perfect or I'm not good enough, right? And so we, we look at the memories um, where that has been really, really impactful to the clients. And we go back to those memories. Um, generally, they're somewhat distressing to them and really kind of just rework them to take the emotional charge away from that memory. And so, you know, basically we're doing a rewiring of the brain and the thought process going on with that. And once we eliminate like the intense emotions with that, we typically will see a, a client shift out of that and they will feel more confident, uh, they're less avoidant and, and that sort of thing mm-hmm. with what I do. Can I ask you, so we, we had um, sure. one of my clients on that, that was a patient of the EMDR therapy and she raves about it. It has helped yeah. her through so many huge traumatic things that have happened um, in her mm-hmm. life. 
Can we like get your professional description of exactly what EMDR does to your brain? Um, Cause obviously we couldn't, we couldn't do that on our own. <laughs> we need to help Nicole, yeah. help us out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and the thing with EMDR too, there's, there's so much science behind it uh, and it's, it's incredibly effective. And so what, you know, it's, it's really evolved over the years from just being focused on PTSD to now we use it for performance anxiety. We use it for shame, all sorts of um, different presenting concerns. And so really, again, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at like maladaptive beliefs and we go back to that. So again, these statements of shame, like I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, for example, and we look at, again, the memories where um, this individual, essentially, they started to believe that about themselves. So, you know, after you hear that so many times, for example, if you have a parent that is constantly, there's a lot of verbal abuse, um, eventually they're going to believe, well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. So EMDR, what it will do is, you know, of course, let's say a negative core belief, uh, not really a true statement about this person. It will go back and we bring like the long-term memory to the front, to the short-term memory essentially. And so they are activating this painful memory and we work through it until the distress. We keep, we use eye movements, for example. So somebody will follow my hand back and forth um, and the eye movements help actually with the distressing memory and the emotional component of it. We don't know exactly what happens in the brain. What we do know, though, is over time, the memory becomes less and less intrusive and the individual, their belief then also changes as a result of less stress. So again, it's, it's somewhat complicated. You, you think help, about the science. Does it help like the, the right side of the brain and the left side reconnect? It, it does. Okay. It does. Yes. And it also, I mean, it connects your thoughts with your body too, with the emotion. By moving body. your eyes? Yes. That's, that's so interesting you say that because I've heard like you're able to retain things better when your your body is moving. Like if you're listening to a podcast while walking, it's or it's easier to retain it than if you were just sitting at a desk. Um, right. Is that the same kind of idea? Like you move your body while you yes. move your brain kind of thing? Right, right. I mean, the, the mind and the body, right? It's It's so connected. You know, think about like stress, for example. Oftentimes when someone's under a lot of stress, you get a headache, you get tense in your shoulders. And so same with, with trauma, you know, like trauma is also in the body. And so we connect all of that as well. Sometimes people don't have a specific memory with EMDR to, to go back to and, but their body, like they get nauseous, um, are really tense. And we actually just start there and I'm like, notice that in your body and let's go with that. And then we take it from there. Wow. I noticed trauma healing has a lot to do with the physical body. I mean, that was my experience too, just the release of everything. And it's like, yes. it's very intense. <laughs> it, is. it is intense. Is there like a average amount of time that you've seen your patients kind of heal from their trauma using EMDR? Yeah, it's like the... Probably the first question I get. <laughs> yeah. How can we get through this as quickly as possible? <laughs> Yes. Yes. How quickly can you get me through this? Right. Everybody wants relief. Understandable. You know, and, and it really, it, it varies. Uh, you know, typically we can see, and it depends on the, the history of the 
trauma, right? You know, if it's complex, if it's a single incident trauma, uh, it, it varies. But typically, we notice a, a difference within, you know, three months. And that's, that's typically also like once a week. So a 60-minute session once a week for anywhere from like eight to 12 sessions. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's powerful and it works pretty quickly. And that is also, you know, something too that some clients, right, they, they get a little... A little concerned about that, understandable. <laughs> what are some of the other like alternative therapies like EMDR, just various things that, what are some other tactics that y'all use with your patient? So I'm really into like the somatic experiencing. So helping people feel comfortable with those dysregulated butterflies in your stomach or like noticing the tense muscles in your shoulders or, uh, cause a lot of times when we, during stressful experiences, right? Like the, the goal is to not be in your body, right? To, because you don't want to feel uncomfortable. So not like feeling emotionally, but just like feeling in your body can be really, um, be a big thing to avoid, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I, I do a lot of teaching people how to breathe, right? So deep breathing, um, do a lot of guided meditation. Uh, and I, I do a lot of education. I think that mm-hmm. if the person doesn't understand why I'm asking certain questions or, you know, sometimes I might, (laughs) I might like act like I'm not listening. Right. And so, (laughs) but I mean, it's not an intervention. Right. And so I'll explain and I've I've learned, I've definitely learned that this is, I've heard of that before. Yeah. To really get that. No, I really have. (laughs) I I mean, I have a very specific client, right. That I work really well with it. I mean, it's, it's interesting because they're very different, but very similar, right? So a lot of the people that I tend to work with come in um, wanting feedback, like wanting, you know, like the ones that come in and they're like, well, so I've, I've gotten all the validation, I've gotten all the support, and, and I still feel like this, now what? Right? Mm. So I'm like, well, let me tell you. Right? Yeah. So being able to really sit and challenge a client, right? Like once we've developed trust and we have that rapport saying things like I can see you know when I said this I noticed that you kind of like you went like this mm-hmm. or you know you the energy just really seemed to shift yes. uh, and that can be really uncomfortable for people to what you noticed? yeah that? you're like calling them yeah. out mm-hmm. or I noticed that you flinched when I you know when we were talking about this what just happened there and they're like I did <laughs> yeah so just, right. completely you know, unaware of that yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that has to play a part, especially when you're dealing with people with substance abuse problems. They're probably, mm-hmm. I mean, they've tried to not feel those feelings for so long, assuming, you know, that's why they were numbing, numbing that part of that out. How do you tap into that? I mean, obviously they come to you, I'm assuming because they're ready to kind of do some deep dives. Maybe that's not always the case. I don't know. But when they are used yes. to using. <laughs> not always. Well, I know. So we started out with understanding how opioids affect the body, right? And so I've always thought that it's really interesting that, so the rise of opiate use has really increased since the rise of technology has increased. Obviously pharmaceuticals play a role in all of that too. So the place in our brain where we process physical pain is the same place that we process emotional pain. And so like thinking about that, so if a person is in a lot of emotional distress, but they also, you know, say that they have like a, a muscle ache somewhere or something like that, right? Like they might go to the doctor and they might find out like, you have to go get surgery on this because 
you've been walking around on this leg on this muscle and it's you know it's torn or whatever and you know they they'll come in and be like I how did this happen right like I've been walking around on this and not even realizing that they're also in a bunch of emotional distress right and so when it's compartmentalized like that, right? Like, or if you're in such extreme emotional distress that you're not noticing what's happening in your body, mm. helping people really understand that, right? And understand like it's a, it's a really normal experience for someone who has gone through a lot of uh, stressful experiences or an intense stressful experience, right? Just really being able to normalize that, and, but help them understand like this is how we're built, right? Like this is just, it's part of being a human. I'm so curious as professionals who specialize in, in these things and, and you're telling your patients these types of things all the time, do you notice it within your own life and your own body when things start to creep up and, and like, are you an easy patient for yourself? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> yes. Everyone's always working on this. Yes. And so here. This was something too that I, I think our program that we went through, our graduate program, they really, really stressed, uh, you know, you got to do your own work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you can't help yourself and you can't recognize these, these triggers and that sort of thing within yourself, how are you going to help somebody mm -hmm. else? And so, yeah, I mean, over the years, of course, of course, we're not perfect at it, right? Um, there is no such thing, but that's something that we're constantly always talking about. And it's so important for therapists, for example, to be a part of consult groups, mm -hmm. to be really checking in on this and having conversations about it. Yeah. Do you guys do that with each other too? Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I think yeah, we're, we we've, we've definitely gotten better at like yeah. noticing first ourselves. Right. But right. I think we're pretty good mirrors for each other. Sometimes to a point where it's like, just don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You know too much, but my body's like, right. Just Right. Yes. We can read each other very well at this yeah. point. And I think so, that's why we can, why we've been able to do trauma work for so long. Cause this is, and we do inte pretty intense. Mm -hmm. I love the clients that the other therapists don't want to take on. Like that's my jam. Right. Yeah. But I think without having someone to, that I really trust to be like, WTF, like, right. what, is this really my job right now? Like, is this what I do, right? Yeah. And, like, not getting judgment, I think that's been really, like, what's been able to, to really. I'm curious, what are some of the clients that you take on that you would consider challenging, the ones that you like to get? What are some of those clients coming in to see you for? Some are, what comes to mind right away, some are, like, treatment resistant. And, and I see that in, when we talk about like, just like insight, right? Mm -hmm. when we go back yeah, to like, of course. Yeah. You know, sure. Those clients can be, can be challenging at times to, to really process that. Uh, substance use disorders, just in general, there is a, you know, more complex layer to that. You got to be able to be comfortable talking about drugs yeah. and substance abuse and, and not everybody is. Right. So yeah. that's another, yeah. 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 Well, and being able to talk about like being open to just hearing a person's story, like mm -hmm. whether they're swearing, whether they live in it, like a, you know, I mean, the way that other people live, right. Yeah. Like it's Judgment free. Yeah. Being able to hear. So that's, that's, it might not be my normal. Right. Mm -hmm. But that, mm -hmm. I hear that that's your normal. Mm -hmm. Right. And if that normal isn't creating the life that you want, 
what can we do to get, to get you to mm-hmm. that, right? But that's the biggest thing is like the rapport building. I think mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. right. Like getting, getting that trust in the room. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep going back to that book. I read that um, maybe you should talk to somebody. Have you heard of, mm-hmm. yeah, that book mm-hmm. blew me away because yes. it was a therapist take on one, her own therapy and her relationship with her clients and how that grew. And it's just, that's all I can think about when I hear you, you both talk because it is, it's like, you're, you're still human yourself, but you have to be able to sit down and just really take in and absorb everything that that client's going through that, that just has to be a lot. <laughs> like I just, like I, trying to even think of some like great questions for you guys, but I just, that's, that's so heavy to me. Um, especially when you're dealing with people that a either don't know why they're there, so to speak, like you were just talking about, or that they come maybe with an expectation that they can just really heal some stuff. And it should only take a few, a few times that <laughs> I, I would have to think that would be common practice that you guys see all the time. Yeah, people that come in and they're like, so like three weeks right. and, and I'm done. And it's like, well, maybe. <laughs> right. Maybe for different reasons. Yeah. That you'll be yeah. Is that hard when you um, say you've, you've had a client for long term and you built really good rapport and maybe they're getting to the point um, in their healing process or recovery or whatever, where you think it's beneficial to bring in family members or somebody else in their system um, that maybe needs to be brought in on the process of what they've been going through. What are the challenges and, and the really great things that come out of those sessions? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, so we work uh, also with the, like, trans-identified individual. Okay. And so sometimes, um, I mean, I find like that, like the family system where um, the person is finally coming out and like so proud and so excited and they've been doing years of work in their head mm-hmm. around like, okay, this is who I am, right? And then letting family know and, and being able to validate both sides. So this is really... I understand there's some grief for like maybe mom and dad or maybe the partner, maybe the children, but also, so how can we make space for, for your feelings about this, but also like create space for this person who like finally feels like themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That's a challenge. Mm -hmm. That's usually where I'm like, Nicole, (laughs) like help me. (laughs) Yeah, I would think. We often will work really well together on challenging like dynamics like that, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and something else that comes to mind, but most likely agree with me on this. So we, we also work with a lot of adolescents. Uh, and so bringing in the parents or the guardians, mm-hmm. that is also can be a challenging system to, to navigate. Um, because, you know, you have, you know, for sure two, oftentimes even three individuals uh, that are all on a different page when it comes to totally. you know what the problem is what the solution is who needs to do what <laughs> and then you have us right where we're coming in and really restructuring that system and that is I'm sure there's lots of resistance there on uh, from every area yes. 
That's really hard too. Like, so I do personal training and I've found that for my clients that their spouse is on board or their spouse is already pretty healthy or eating well or working out consistently, like those people 99% of the time succeed. But if the spouse is not on board, it's almost impossible. Um, how do you treat a family who, who they aren't on the same page? How do you kind of start? Is it just empathy? You just try to have them right. Eat? Like what takes priority in that situation? I I'm always so perplexed by that too. Yeah. That was not my first <laughs> well, we, We're pretty direct as therapists. You know, there's also a spectrum of <laughs> where a therapist falls on you know, their style and that sort of thing. And so I, I'm pretty direct in those mm-hmm. situations from the beginning. Of course you have to, there's some sort of, you know, relationship building, but, and I would say, honestly, a lot of people really appreciate yeah. that approach where we're not just tiptoeing and beating around the bush, right? I mean, we just get mm-hmm. right to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, that's the, like the person-centered care yeah. is really, the pendulum has swung and we're kind of stuck in this, we have this really rigid idea of what person-centered care means. And so, um, I mean, the joke, like since we got into the field is like, we we aren't person-centered, <laughs> but that's not true, right? Like, What do you mean by person-centered <laughs> care? So really just, um, so some therapists are really great at like the, just a lot of validation, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes like, depending on where the person is in their journey, that's like the perfect therapist for them, Mm -hmm. right? Like they just, they just need somewhere to go and like an hour that they can count on to just like, just get it out, just Mm -hmm. to cry or to be angry or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And just get that, the reflective listening and the supportive communication. Right. And so I think that, you know, I think that we're both pretty supportive in our work. I mean, I hope so. (laughs) But, um, but also I mean, I think that there's, there's times in our journey where if no one's going to tell you what might be limiting you, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That's sometimes. Our yeah. Time. That can be enabling mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so that's that balance of the rapport building and being supportive of everyone's perspective, but also like, here's also like the bird's eye view mm-hmm. of what's going on in this system. Right. As someone not in this system, this, this is how I, what I'm hearing from everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think being able to with the population that we work with, it, we all I think we've we've done pretty well is because we're not afraid to mm-hmm. to challenge, right? Because like our role is if you trust us enough to come back each week, our job is to put ourselves out of mm-hmm. a job, right? You want right? to teach them, mm-hmm. yeah, so they don't need you their whole life. <laughs> yeah, right, right, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And sometimes they, you know, I mean, I, the way that our mental health works though is we have people that we haven't seen in two years and then there's a bump in the road and uh, trauma symptoms or anxiety symptoms, depression comes back because it's just like our physical health, Mm -hmm. right? Like we can catch a cold, we can catch depression and forget at different times in our lives, like what, what our coping strategies were Mm -hmm. in the past Um, or just needing, you know, that home base, like a place to just to go and get the feedback Mm -hmm. that you need. How do you, detach yourselves from because I'm sure you hear a lot of of intense 
things from people that, and, and I'm sure you, you care about your patients. Like how do you detach from taking any of that on yourselves? Is it just practice? It, it's just practice. Yes. Yes. You know, it, absolutely. It's practice, you know, self-care and consultation. Yeah. You know, it really comes down to that. Uh, again, take care of yourself. Uh, and then again, you know, really connecting with others in your field and not, and when I say others, I'm saying other therapists that specialize in different areas, they use a different type of model for therapy so that they can see a different perspective. So if you surround yourself with therapists that are all solution focused, then it's going to be a little bit more challenging to get another perspective. And, and so that's been really helpful. Um, I would say I can speak for both of us on this because we we've been through this a lot together. That's been really Mm -hmm. helpful. You kind of bounce ideas Mm -hmm. off of each other and how to help. Absolutely. You know, and we both have different styles too. And so, um, yeah, that's been helpful, but also, you know, just staying really active within the community, the mental health Mm -hmm. community um, in our area as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and probably like with personal training, right? Like yeah. if a person doesn't, you know, they seem really motivated and then, you know, a few weeks in they stop coming or, you know, they're reducing or they're, you know, not seeming engaged. Um, just really reminding ourselves that like, this is, so this is not our job to like fix them. Right. Cause mm-hmm. everything that we, that we yeah. communicate back is stuff that they've that the client has shown us or, or talked to yeah. us about, right? So, I mean, our, our job isn't even to, to tell the person what the problem is. It's to like listen for what they're saying to us about how they're seeing their problem or maybe reshaping it so that they can see it more clearly, right? right? But yeah, I think just really reminding ourselves mm-hmm. like this, this is not mine to take on. Yeah. Like this is, this is, this is yours. <laughs> Like I'm just here to to listen and to to offer recommendations. Mm-hmm. Really, that took me so long to figure out. I, I would take it personally sometimes when you know because you you invest a lot of your time and energy into people, and and I learned in my early 20s that I was extremely codependent, and so I put that into my work, and um, it's been a, a journey to you know kind of detach myself from that, but it makes all the difference. Cause I swear, I mean, it, it's, if you take things on personally, then you almost end up resenting the client or, you know, for making you feel bad about yourself when it's, you're just, you're <laughs> taking on too much. Right. It's not about us. Yeah. Right. So I have a question then because, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, off of that too, like also being able to recognize like your, your limitations too, right? I mean, depending on what's going on in your life is incredibly important. And so recognizing like, yeah, I can take these types of cases on right now. Um, but two years ago, mm-hmm. I could not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to recognize that too is, is really critical in our line of work. Yeah, I would think yeah. so. That's what I was curious about. So what happens when you're dealing with a narcissist? <laughs> you know, I mean, the people who don't take the feedback or, or can't, I mean, I'm surrounded by them. So I'm just so <laughs> oh, That's such a great question. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite personality types to work with. Oh my gosh. God Please explain. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, so we, we both work well with people that register narcissistic traits. Um, so I, I'm pretty good at like doing the validation and like, again, building that rapport, like 
building that trust. Um, and it's about, so it's support, empathy, and then smacking <laughs> the truth, right? So, and, and sometimes it, it's quicker than, than others. And sometimes I get to pass them on to Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn. Yes. yes. Uh, and vice versa, right? And sometimes it's right back. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yes, uh, it, you know, it's challenging. It really is. Uh, you're not going to minimize that. But, you know, really, I do think it it's a slow process at times. Uh, I don't know if, you know, if you would agree with that. At least for me, it is when I... Um, and working with somebody that presents with those traits um, and or has, you know, the actual diagnosis of it. And sometimes it does. It just takes a lot of, of processing the shame that's also associated with um, narcissism and... Um, or like helping them notice the that, that it yes. might be there, right? Because that's yes. the whole... I was going to say, I feel like that would be such a hard conversation to give someone yeah. that label, diagnosis, whatever it is um, in that reaction. <laughs> I can, I mean, I can only imagine how, how difficult that must be. What are some traits of narcissism? Um, well, so like, so like clinical traits are traits that we see in the office. Cause it's going to, I mean, right. Like what's in black and white, is going to be very different than how it's going to present and how it feels. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Well, let's do the, let's do how it feels. How it feels for 500, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause everyone's every person is different, but I don't know. I mean, like, I'm a big, like, energy person, right? Like, I, I really notice what's happening in my gut and and that sort of thing. And it's like, so sometimes it might be lots of compliments, right? Like lots of compliments about how I am as a therapist. And so I, you know, I I don't think, oh, you're a narcissist, but I, you know, I start thinking like, okay, why, why do you feel right now? Like you have to stroke my Mm. ego. What is that doing for this? What's going on right here? Right. Or like the, maybe even like the little backhanded comments of like, mm-hmm. oh, you actually are smart, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Like those types of things, right? It's, and it's, yes. it takes a long time. You know, it's, it's not something that even in like one or two or three sessions, we're going to be like, oh, this is what's going on. You really have to understand how the person sees the world, right? And that takes time. And usually, it, you know, a person's coming in for anxiety or depression or communication issues first right like nobody comes in and says like I might have a personality disorder right unless there are certain certain people that might but sure so what would be a narcissist's end goal in over complimenting you I guess I just thought it was more of like a self self-centeredness am I wrong yeah so it's I mean a lot of it's like status and hierarchy right like when shame isn't either talked about mm-hmm. in a family system. Right. I mean, that's usually, I think it's that person's way of asking, like, do you see me as someone who is okay to work? Like, oh, do you want to work? Okay. okay. Like looking for validation right. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. But the whole self-centered piece is definitely there. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be real. It is, yeah. You know, you're right there. Absolutely. So, and that's another thing we will say too, is, is you continue with that work too, with somebody who presents with these traits that typically, um, once they become more comfortable in that relationship is there, at least my experience is you see more and more of that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. You talked earlier about technology contributing to anxiety and depression. Um, 
Can you explain? We get a lot of messages about that. Yeah, <laughs> we did yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Can you guys been getting a lot that? more questions about that. Mm -hmm. What kind of questions? I'm curious. Yeah. Like Just the correlation between the two, and why aren't people talking about it? Because there's definitely been a rise in depression and anxiety with the rise of so much social media and so much technology at our disposal. I mean, even just the fact that you know, if you're bored, you have something to give you whatever it is that you're looking for instantly. Mm -hmm. How has that messed with our psyche, <laughs> essentially? <laughs> and, and I mean, really, what are you seeing on the clinical end? Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen people doing a heck of a lot of comparing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they see all these, <laughs> these positive posts and these amazing things, right? And then they start questioning their life. And comparing mm -hmm. and so that's where i mean i have seen really a combination of depression and anxiety as a result of that depending on who the client is i mean for example you know females right um and seeing all of these these posts about how society presents how we should look and and that sort of thing and so then you start to see you know a lot of um, body image stuff coming in us exploring that I've noticed a lot of that, especially since the pandemic has hit, you know, everybody's just on their devices mm -hmm. and spending a ton of time doing that. And so, yeah, you're seeing it more and more and more. And so in a way, even though it's not in person, it's always in your face. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big contributing factor as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's messing with like our attachment, you know, our perception of what what it is to connect because I mean we're yes. again like as humans we're built to have connection because even today for today right um yesterday mm -hmm. Nicole and I were talking and I was like are we going to do it from each other's like separately or do what we want to get together and she was like well I think it's gonna feel better if we're together yeah. and I was like well, yeah <laughs> right you know being able to to talk to a friend on a device mm -hmm. versus be with a friend in person is so right. different um, and so I think it's, yeah. And like helping, mm -hmm. helping younger people to understand that too, right? Like, look, so you have these likes, right? But then yes. you're still feeling lonely. Why do you think it's because you're not coming out of your room mm -hmm. at all during the week, right? Yeah. Like, or, I mean, not just younger kids. I mean, there's a lot of people, my parents age, mm -hmm. right? Like coming in because just as attached to their phones. Mm -hmm. um, and social media and so being Absolutely. able to I mean it's it's definitely given us a different definition or a different mm -hmm. expectation of what connection and, and attachment is how do you talk to people about kind of fixing that that relationship with their techno technology what do you do yeah <laughs> so the first you know really comes down to like just more insight self-awareness around it right I mean I work with a lot of couples and so this is something that has come up a oh, lot sure. um, again especially since you know pandemic hit is well i come home or you know both people are already at home and they're done with work sitting on the couch together and they're both just face down right in their phone and so and they you know resentment all these emotions build uh and they're coming in and you know and so i'm asking them well what's your routine like what do you do together you know and they're like well, nothing you know, anymore. And then, you know, someone will say, well, we're in the same room together. We share space. <laughs> and it's going like, to count for something, yeah. right? <laughs> right. I'm like, what else? 
<laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and it's just, it's not working. It's not working for a lot of couples. And so, you know, really building some awareness around that. Uh, and let me tell you, it's, it's a struggle. It is a struggle for uh, individuals right now to, it's such a habit mm-hmm. to pick up the, the phone or be on whatever, Netflix, anything. And so for, yeah, it, it takes a lot of work. It's really some behavioral changes it comes down to. Um, and so again, like personal training, right? Um, you know, we can really talk about this and build some awareness in our therapy sessions, but it's like, well, whatever you do outside of therapy it's up to them. is what really yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've suggested detoxing, right? Like yeah. even if it's like, so just start with an hour, right. put your phone yes. away for an hour. Right. right? And then make, then build up to a weekend. Don't, don't start with like, I'm not going to be on my phone all weekend. Cause that's probably not Everyone realistic. Everyone does that, don't yeah. they? They immediately think yeah. like, get rid of mm-hmm. everything. I mean, I've been guilty of that as well. And it, <laughs> it makes it worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then if you talk about, let's not, well, maybe we will, but let's just even talk about like sleep. You know, when people are just like, I can't sleep. And I'm like, well, how long are you on your device? And it's like, well, from 8 p.m. till midnight. And I'm like, what? But, you know, they're coming in to us to talk about like, I just can't sleep. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, you know, honestly, it's just that that connection's not there, mm-hmm. and so building a lot of that awareness again. Right. So yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has to come down to awareness because we're all in charge of ourselves, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're—I right. mean, that's really what it comes down to. If we want to change it, we have to do it. Um, Ariana Huffington does a thing where she puts her phone to bed every night. I don't—I'm sure you guys have heard about it, but she, uh, I yeah, I mean, that's what she's huge on that, and that's a big, big philosophy on rest and she doesn't even allow like devices in, in her room. Like she literally puts it away at night. What I think that that's a beautiful sentiment. I think that's a great idea. I'm not there, <laughs> you know, but I do, I, I am insane with my digital well-being as you can, you could, they call it on my phone anyways, like where things shut off at a certain time. I do have timers where I can't access it. I mean, I had to be so regimented just to break away from this device. So I don't know. I do you keep your phones in your rooms? I'm just so curious. Are they by you all the time? Like, because I am. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Guilty, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. Totally guilty. Yeah. And I'm probably, I don't know. She has more self-control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll send like seven emails and then or text. text and be like, well, calling like why haven't you answered anything yeah. she's like I'm not at work right now. Yeah. yeah okay or it's it's almost midnight you know and you know we both work tomorrow morning yeah <laughs> that's another question I had so you guys obviously you work together and you're you're close friends how do you separate the friendship from the work or is it just totally blended and you guys are just cool with that we're better at it now I'd say at, at first we were not good at that <laughs> yeah at first there wasn't a lot of separation no <laughs> yeah but again I mean we were we were building you know the structure and the foundation of our business and so you know it, it's a lot initially I mean it's a lot of heavy lifting so we we struggled with that uh now I would say there is a, a much healthier balance when it comes to 
business and then friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think so the first year of our business, like we both, there were a lot of unexpected life changes that mm-hmm. came up. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the second, well, I guess the past couple of years. <laughs> um, and again, I, most of it has been me. <laughs> but there's been, um, so I think that has definitely contributed. And I think both of our mm-hmm. stress levels are back to like, we're, we're pretty close to baseline, mm-hmm. you know, as close mm-hmm. as maybe we'll, we'll be. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so I think that has helped, but I, I really, it's just, it's kind of just evolved. Like it hasn't, we haven't really had to have like a conversation to right. say like, this is this and this is this. I think we yes. just kind of pick mm-hmm. up on cues. Because as different as we are, we're very similar, which mm-hmm. is really bizarre to me. And I think like a lot of people in our lives, like we can both come out of a meeting, uh, like a business meeting with someone else. And I'll be like, that was awful. And she's like, that, I thought it was great. Where were you? Or vice versa. Yes, that happens often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice yeah. to have so, somebody to bounce back. Like, right? like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Kelly. No, go saying? ahead. I just said it's so nice to be able to have somebody to bounce that stuff back. I, I would assume that has to be so beneficial for clients and meetings and things like that to have those two perspectives in your ear at all times so that you can really make like solid choices for your practice. Mm-hmm. I would think that that would be a good thing. Yeah. 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 Yes. I mean, necessary, especially, I mean, especially with like relational therapy, right? Like we do trauma relation therapy and I, I think that or trauma focused relationship therapy and it's whether it's relationship with yourself or, you know, the rest mm-hmm. of the system, but if we didn't feel comfortable and I think the first couple of years and also us like following each other from practice to practice right. has helped, but you know, the first year there was a lot of like unexpected change in my life. And I think that that probably as, as awful as it was, I think it helped really like create that, like, okay, if we can make it through together with this, you know, we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, you guys kind of have like an orientation with your clients or an evaluation? And then how do you pick kind of who's going to start or who's going to take over for the client? Well, so right now, I mean, so the practice, we do get people coming directly to nobility. Like people will say like, well, the Nicole's, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But a lot of it is just, I think we've been in the field long enough now where it's, people will refer pretty much directly oh, to okay. us. Yeah. And so we might meet with a person like one or two times and be like, I think that, you know, Carrie and I might be a better fit or mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. a better fit. And so it's, I don't know. I go off of Get the like, feel for it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once in a while we'll get, you know, somebody who calls into uh, calls into us and they'll just leave a voicemail, right? And it's like, I'd like to schedule with Nicole, <laughs> you know, and we're like, mm-hmm. I bet, yeah, that <laughs> would have a meeny, miny, Yeah. 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 And so, you know, and again, once we talk to them, we you know, really you just feel it out. Um, there's a lot of different factors too. I mean, from even just like scheduling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what's your yeah. schedule like? Because uh, typically, I mean, for the most part, um, both of us work with, uh, a lot of the same like presenting concerns mm. so it's generally not too much of an issue at least what is your schedule like right now since covid do you do a lot online or still mostly in person or how's that working it's all online mm-hmm. like we went 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was in denial about like having to go online and she yeah. was on, she yeah. was um, on maternity leave and overnight I, I had consultation with a, with a mentor that day. One day I was like, so what do you think about this COVID stuff? And he's like, do you have a plan in place? And I was like, yep, doing that right now. Right. And like, I mean, all night then just like, okay, Nicole, like this is what you get for avoiding. Right. And so I had to put like the, like get emails out to all the clients and figure out all of this. Cause they're like, we're kind of old, like technology isn't really our thing. Like, I'm with you there. You know, we talk and listen. To yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So this, but yeah, right now we're doing all, mm-hmm. all in, or all telehealth. Yeah. Has that opened up your practice at all to more opportunities since you can have patients from wherever? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Within the state. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. within the state. Um, Is that a so, license issue? Okay. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. You know, when, when the pandemic hit, there was several states that allowed it, in, including our board. Um, again, you always had to like, you know, check in with them, but you could, you know, see clients in other states, that sort of thing. But that has already changed. Oh, okay. So just within the state, but yes, it has um, a lot of different areas that, again, we would not have that opportunity. So that has been, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that, that aspect. Was it a challenging transition? And yeah, initially, absolutely. Because we're so used to, especially since I do EMDR, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm typically yeah. this close to my clients sitting here, you know, in front of them, you know, waving. And it's, that was really, really challenging. Uh, and so, yeah, it was an adjustment. Absolutely. You know, we talked about it all the time in the beginning. We're like, oh, when can we get back? When can we yeah. get back? You know, did you find Clorox yet? Did you find Lysol? <laughs> and, you know, we're like, no. <laughs> um, so we finally had to just get to, you know, acceptance. I, we're not going yeah. in for a while. Yeah. yeah. There was a, a sense of loss there. Absolutely. I would think so. Especially with needing that connection. The virtual EMDR, is it is it as successful? So that is still, you know, to be determined, uh, you know, again, depending on the clients, um, I know a lot of clinicians, um, including myself, we absolutely prefer to be in person. Yeah. Uh, and so does the client. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So does the client. And so, yes, I, I'm doing it um, via telehealth uh, and it, it's working uh, with some clients. Absolutely. But for, I know for me, it's, I'm not seeing generally, you know, what I have seen in the past doing it in person, the amount of clients, you know, really processing through the trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I get it because, you know, a lot of it is then being put on them. So instead of like watching my hand, having to tap their shoulders instead, uh, and all of a sudden if their phone drops and all of a sudden I can't see the client and I'm like, Ooh, where are we at? Where, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> Show me your hand. Show me your hand. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, and so it's it's been changing. <laughs> yeah, I've been Zoom training, and I tell people all the time I get some pretty interesting angles. <laughs> I yeah, but it is it's a, it's, a, it's very different, and it seems almost like a watered down form of of what I do. But it it can still be very effective. You know, that's why I asked about yeah. the EMDR. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to ask you guys, I see all your beautifully color-coded books up there. Um, do you guys have any like favorite books that you've read that have helped with like self-discovery and, and wellness, mindfulness and all, all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Okay. Uh, I love recommending that to, to clients um, with the caveat that there are some vignettes in the story that can be uh, pretty triggering, right? And so it, like the book is really dense. And so it's really like the, you can kind of page through and, and just take what you need from that book. But uh, he does a really great job of explaining how our body holds memories and how mm-hmm. um, during trauma, we can either like we stay in our body too much or we leave our body too much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we have symptoms afterwards, and so um, it, that just seems to be a good, a good way for people to to get that information without taking up you know five sessions of explaining it. And then I'm reading a book right now called um, "It Didn't Start with You," and it's about intergenerational trauma. Oh, great, um, yes, epigenetics. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I read yes. so I read it like I think in grad school or like early on, but. Yeah, um, that's uh, yeah a big thing that started this podcast. <laughs> oh, really? For me, for me, yeah. yeah. I I noticed a lot of um just things triggering me from other people's stories and getting to know them, and it really led me down the rabbit hole of epigenetics, and it blew my mind at just how right. much we can really hold on to and maybe not even be aware of and and repress mm-hmm. and it messes everything up <laughs> if you allow it to, or don't deal with it. That was my case anyways. Um, for sure. I, I'm a big fan of his. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, don't be sorry. Yeah. No, that's exciting. That you, yeah. That you have. So yeah, we have to ask questions like, you know, do you know what your mother's pregnancy was like? Yeah. Or do you know, was there any like depression afterwards? And you know, people are like, why are you asking me this right Right? but it's important right like what was the stress level at the time what was your mother's stress what was your father's stress yeah yeah what was was their dynamic how did you make it into this world and and how does that factor into how you deal now it's mine it blows my mind the whole correlation between all of it Mm -hmm. absolutely the whole pre-verbal too the pre-verbal trauma you know is also something that you know we look at and both of us have experienced doing that um, it has been really powerful for clients to to just even understand mm. um, I think to you know again oftentimes people will come in and they just think you know whatever's going on in their life now right is the contributing yeah. factor to their distress yeah. and it's like well let's let's go back to all of this and that's been incredibly helpful pre-verbal that means like as an in, like as an infant mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah so oftentimes too with EMDR, you know, I look at ask questions like, you know, did you have the cord wrapped around your neck when you were born uh, and stuff like that? Because, you know, sometimes I clients uh, with EMDR go back to trace their, the feeling in their body uh, back to a memory such as like rebirthing. Wow. Mm-hmm. How do you get people? Like, have- oh, oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, epigenetics is fascinating. It's so fascinating to me. It blows me away. I could geek out, but um, for, for time-wise, I won't. I'm just curious, though, because I had a, a point in my um, healing 
where I started going back to some traumatic events in my life, right? And they were so repressed that I had a hard time even understanding if they were real or valid or if that even happened. Mm-hmm. And I've always struggled with that to know if my experience was mine or if it was just kind of created. <laughs> and I, I, I struggle with that a lot. So I'm just curious, um, what are some tips for that? <laughs> Well, just for clarification's sake, sure. so are you asking like, like, how do you know, or how do, how do we work with that, or both? Both, yeah, just, just the whole, like, when someone like me comes to you and says, like, I, I'm remembering this, but I don't know if it's really true, because it's so suppressed, how, where, how do you even start to deal with that? I'm assuming that's where the EMDR would be really handy in, in retracing those steps. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, in, in those situations, oftentimes I, I look at, okay, well, what, you know, what do you feel in your body and is there a certain emotion? Yeah. And that's where we'll go. We'll just start with that. Um, you know, feel that in your body. Where is it? Focus on that and, and just go with that. And so, and then we start the protocol. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes just by starting with that, a client will get to a point where, you know, they are confident in whether it's what they came in initially with right. um, questioning, or they get to a point where it's like, nope, like I feel confident about what just came on gotcha. um, in the session. So it's all about, it's, it's pretty, that's why EMDR are so powerful in the moment. Um, it's because yes, you don't have to have a specific memory to work through trauma. Wow. Yeah. That's really encouraging, actually. That, yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment right there. Because mm-hmm. sure. mm-hmm. I love to have answers. I love, you know, because I've been asked before, and I don't know who asked me this, but like, what's your first memory? And it like bothers me because I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. And so if, if really traumatizing mm-hmm. things were happening to you at a young age, and maybe you don't remember it, it's really promising that you don't have to remember things specifically to, to heal from that. I think that's really beautiful. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That, that just blows my mind too, because like you, you think of these things and I, I hate to keep going back to, to me. That's really not what I'm trying to do. But this is the only thing that I know how to speak on is that when you're dealing with that stuff, be it what it may, it's hard when, I don't know how to even say this, part of my healing was not going to the source and trying to get verification from them or validity of what happened. It was, it had a lot to do really just with me and how I was going to move forward, I guess. Does that make sense? I don't know. I feel like I'm just like rambling. I'm not EMDR trained. And so a lot of mine is the, it's, it's how does the story of the memory impact you? Right. Mm. And so not necessarily about playing detective to to get like this is true or or see I got lost there for a long time I guess is is why yeah and there's a lot of information out there about like you know so like made up memories or false memories right and so um even being able to 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 preface you know that work with like so my job is not to manufacture problems Mm -hmm. that aren't there right but I kind of work with those repressed memories like I do with dreams. I mean, it's like, so it doesn't matter like necessarily what the, the details of the dream, like I don't need to know all the colors and who's right. in it and all that, but how did you feel when you woke up? How do you mm-hmm. feel as you're telling me about this dream? 
how do you feel as you're telling me about this memory, right? Because that's that's what's going to come up. It's like whatever the story is, um, and and how how our memory remembers it, mm-hmm. right? That's going to have the impact on us. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not much different than you. Like, right. Yeah, I, I love hearing that because I had a very hard time and I I still struggle with trusting my gut and and trusting my feelings. I don't know where that started, but it's been a a process to learn that that is okay. And not, not that it's just okay, but it's necessary and it helps guide you in the right way. And so to hear that it's not really about the story, it's more about how you feel like the importance of that. That's really cool. Like that makes me want to trust my gut even more. Mm-hmm. and thinking about how you feel mm. right like putting like yes. sentences and words to that feeling of like why might I be nauseous right now right like am I excited did I eat something you know like being able to, to talk through that or am I scared right now because of this or this right I mean anything that our senses can can perceive in the environment can be a trigger mm-hmm. right so like think about that like anything in our environment can be like something that we see out of the corner of our eye that we don't even really pay attention to right like a color can bring us back to a trauma and triggers are important to know about but what matters is how you feel when you're triggered Mm -hmm. is noticing that you're triggered well with the holidays coming up (laughs) speaking of trigger (laughs) for a lot of people Mm -hmm. yes yeah, well, what what would you say? I mean, I guess to the people that listen to this back, going into the holidays and and a lot of there are a lot of triggering things that come up around these time and with you know closer time with family or or maybe not having family or whatever the dynamic is in their life. What are some you know tips and tricks to kind of help people get through this? I guess boundaries. <laughs> Preach. Preach. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that's what you said. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, there's a, especially around the holidays, right? So people put in a lot of time and effort into working on themselves, you know, health year. And then we hit the holidays and, you know, we'll have long-term clients that come back in after the holidays and it's like, whoa, you know. So what okay, happened? You know, yeah. I mean, yes, what happened, why, you know. And so I, I spent a lot of time talking about, you know, being true to yourself, looking at your values um, and, and setting boundaries around that. I mean, boundaries is such a huge part of our lives and understanding that it's, there's so many different types of boundaries, right? And so that's typically something that I always encourage. It's like, okay, well, if you don't like this, that's okay. Set a boundary around it and then follow mm-hmm. through. You know, that's mm-hmm. where we often see sometimes, uh, you know, clients struggle with the follow through on that yeah. for various mm-hmm. reasons, right? Insecurities, all sorts of guilt. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something too, I spend a lot of time talking about. I've already started that, <laughs> um, you know, as we're entering November. Um, so yeah, what do, you, what do you tend to focus on? Kind of the both end. So like, sure. like, so you're still angry at mom, but you still have to see mom at Christmas, right? Like mm-hmm. it is okay to be angry at mom and still be at Christmas. Like, mm-hmm. and mom doesn't have to validate that you're angry in order for you to like still feel angry, right? But it's how, like, you don't have to behave. You don't have to express the anger like on Christmas day, you know, like at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> 
mean, you can. I'm right? doing then, it wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. I mean, I think a lot of times it's it's like helping people normalize the fact yes. that, like, yeah, of course you're going to be upset about something that happened when you were 16. Like, mm-hmm. like you don't need mom and dad to like get it. Just yeah. so it's kind of, I've been using this example too lately. I don't, but like, there are people that choose not to wear a face mask. I personally choose to wear a face mask when I go out into like the community or whatever I'm shopping. It doesn't bother me. Like I, people get really like worked up, like <laughs> when they don't see when they see someone not wearing a mask. To me, like I don't, I don't have to understand why they are choosing not to wear a mask for me to to be okay with doing that for myself. Mm. If that's what makes me feel safe, if I have the data or whatever the information that I need to support mm-hmm. that this is what makes me feel safe. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to understand for me to be okay with that. Right. And so that's, I think that that's been kind of helping, but being able to use examples or metaphors, I think to help normalize, like appropriately. So you have these feelings, yes. right? Like let them be there. <laughs> that's a tough yeah. balance. Yeah. You've got to be really adult <laughs> to be able to do both things at once it's it can get very muddled in your in your head especially if you are around certain family members that you normally don't have to deal with on a you know on a routine basis that's hard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i've also been talking to clients a lot about who are dreading something or really really like the thought of you know going home for the holidays don't yeah. You know, you don't have to, you know, and so really figuring out, okay, you know, how can you make traditions that you really enjoy and that is going to, again, fall in line with your values. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So really processing that too. That was some of the best wedding advice I got when, when I first got married was like, go make your own traditions. Like, oh. don't feel like you have to continue yeah. to emulate what yes. maybe your childhood was or whatever like it, it's very important that to step out and to do your own thing um and i've i've tried to stick to that but old habit <laughs> yes that's so funny sure. as as humans though the amount of things we do just out of pure habit or because we think we have to like i think putting that choice back in it is very empowering for people because a lot of people don't think there is a choice in a lot of decisions they're making yes yes in fact, the, the clients will say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't have any other option. Yep. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. I use you guys in my ear yeah. all the time. Like, what are your holiday <laughs> hours? Let's let's chat. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just zoom us in. Yeah. yeah at the dinner table. I'll put my we'll family on hold yeah. and get you guys on the line. <laughs> That's so awesome. I have one one more question that came to mind, like. Is there such thing as a fully healed, untriggerable human? Or is life just kind Ooh, of like question. trigger management? Okay. Well, so I, I like that question. I do too. Um, so the way I explain or that I think about it is like, so every experience we have, we have thoughts and feelings around them, right? And so... that creates a wrinkle in our brain so to say we can't go in and botox that wrinkle out and some of those wrinkles are really deep if it's the same or a similar thought feeling or experience okay and so it's kind of accepting that so we have this wrinkle in our brain 
that might be really deep that is going to be there, but it is actually okay to create like pathways off of that, right? Like we, you might always, yeah, like once that's there and depending how deep and how old it is, uh, it's about learning how to recognize like, okay, so this is why I'm feeling this way in this moment, mm-hmm. right? And I can choose to like go down the old pathway, right? Like I can flow through that or I can start even just thinking about doing something different is doing something different. And you might still pass, pass, pass the new pathway and continue down the old one, but even thinking about doing something different can start creating those new pathways. And I, for the most part, it is kind of accepting that once the pathway is there, it's there, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's how we're built, that is okay. So your brain is doing its job. So it's about like not fighting that, being able to accept that. So yeah, I guess it is kind of about management, the type of people that I tend to work with mm-hmm. also, right? So I think that also mm-hmm. matters. But um, for the most part, like that's it's about making the choice, right? So our thoughts, mm-hmm. our thoughts can change over time, but it takes a long time to get our thoughts to change. But behavioral change can can happen mm-hmm. pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And I'll add to that, you know, depending on really like your definition of healing, right? And so there's, there's plenty of individuals that will say, yes, you know, I have healed from this. Uh, It no longer impacts me. Like I can, I can think about this, you know, experience this memory uh, and I, I don't have an emotional reaction to it. It don't have, it doesn't control any aspect of my life anymore. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, people will say, yes, that is healing to them. Uh, That whole, like, you know, no more control, that sort of thing. Um, Like exactly how you were saying it, you know, those triggers are no longer there. The emotional charge is no longer there. And so, um, but yes, it's always there. You're not going to erase that by any means. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of like, yeah. I mean, wrong you, answer. <laughs> try again. <laughs> but what's a person like catches pneumonia, right? Like they're more predisposed to catching pneumonia down the road. And so depression, anxiety, trauma symptoms, right? Very similar, very episodic. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like, first you have to accept that you have a cold mm-hmm. and you have a cold. Right? And if you don't, and you don't take care of yourself, you could wind up in the hospital with pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Right. And then once you recover from pneumonia to expect that you're just never going to get a cold again, like that's not right. realistic at all. Right. So it's, it's kind of like just accepting it's not much different than our, the way that we think about our physical health. Yeah, it really is just choices. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering. It is anxiety and, and worrying. Like if someone's a constant worrier, is that more of like a learned behavior then uh, that they've just you know, carried along with them. It's kind of like something dumb. That's <laughs> really. I think that's how I think about it. Like that's that's why I worry. I can't suck my thumb anymore. No one knows. <laughs> so it is. It's just like a bad habit. You would you would consider it kind of a bad habit. Sometimes, yeah, it's like a self-soothing strategy. Sometimes, sure. It, it yeah, it can be a learned. Um, behavior. I mean, there's also genetics that play, you know, a role too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did your mom or dad also suck their thumb? <laughs> Part of our intake. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just so interesting, though, because, like, I, I think as an adult, you 
again, in my experience, um, I, I can look back at some of the things that maybe I just naturally do um, in when I'm depressed or anxious or whatever. And I can look back and I can see those characteristics in my parents in certain, in certain instances, but I didn't recognize it growing up. I see it now as an adult that that is something. And so now that's, that's where I really get to start to shift and, and change and make new choices. But that is so hard <laughs> like that, you know, like how do you, it, it, it's so hard because it's so ingrained and it's like, sometimes it seems like it's just, that's just what it's going to be. You know, <laughs> it, it does feel like that sometimes. Yeah. And it can also feel empowering to be like, this is my choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I do have autonomy and like, uh, my opinion or the choices that I make for myself like mm-hmm. that that's something that I can do mm-hmm. and I know that it feels comfortable or it, it's less work to not do something different for sure yeah right yeah no I see that a lot I see that a lot and I, I think too like I'm trying to hold on let me think on this Leanne ask a question oh, <laughs> I need a minute to think about how I'm gonna word this because it's it's I want to make sure I say it right. Well, Nicole, and I forgot your last name, Blonde Nicole. <laughs> this one's for you. Sure. That um, works. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Um, what, what are some books that you would recommend? Yeah, the one that I have been actually working with a lot of clients recently, um, I would say my, so clients that are struggling with depression right now, the book called Lost Connections. Okay. Um, and so, and I know you, have you read that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. So that, that book takes a, um, a stance on looking at different ways that besides using medication, for example, to treat, um, depression. So there's a lot of other factors. I think in the, the author references about nine different areas that can impact depression. Uh, and so a lot of times people, they, they believe it's a chemical imbalance, for example. Uh, and instead of going to therapy, they go, you know, straight to, you know, a GP and start, you know, a medication. And oftentimes, you know, they're finding, well, this isn't really helping. This isn't really changing my, my state. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so looking at it from a non-chemical um, more holistic approach. More holistic approaches. I is love that. Really beneficial. Yes, for clients in that. So, and I'm blanking on the author. The okay. last connection you have. Oh, yeah. Johan Hari. Okay. Okay. Have you guys read the book um, "You Are the Placebo" by um, Dr. Joe Dispenza? No, no, but I, I know some individuals that have. So when, um, Muzzy, when you were talking about the pathways, the wrinkles in your brain, he did a really good job explaining like our thoughts are like if we're walking through the snow and the thoughts that we have so frequently, they become like really ingrained pathways. Um, but then by, you know, thinking of things differently or doing therapy and behavioral changes, you kind of, it's like a fresh, fresh snowfall and you choose a different pathway. And I just, I love that metaphor because it, it, it sticks with me. He does a good job of like explaining deep concepts in a, for dummies way, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) So that lots of people can understand. Metaphors are helpful. Yeah. Yes. Metaphors are very helpful. (laughs) 
Okay, I wrote down my question, but it's not really a question. I'm trying to piece my thoughts together because um, I'm dealing with people like this in my life and I have a very, I'm just going to ask it. <laughs> so, um, so the people that are quote unquote healed or feel like they've moved past their depression or whatever they're currently involved with, that's very obvious to other people. And they feel like they've tried everything and they, they can't get out of it. How do you deal with those people? Not even from a therapist standpoint, but as like a family member, as a friend, as a partner, how do you help them? Or is it not for us to take on? Is it truly their journey and we just have to set those boundaries? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what she'd say. <laughs> you know, I think there absolutely is a time where, I mean, you have to really kind of step back and look at yourself. Like, um, you know, why are you putting so much effort um, into trying to navigate this for that person. Mm, yeah, um, that's they good. are not. Um, and so really kind of taking a step back, looking at, okay, well, what are you getting out of this? What's going on for you? Um, and absolutely, you know, let's let's talk about some boundary setting because, I mean, you can only do so much. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we talk about this so, so much from a substance use disorder component, right? And where, you know, a lot of times, this is where we are client centered, right? Where we meet the client where we're, where they're at Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, And that could be, you know, very, again, like you said, you know, they've tried everything. Um, And so sometimes you just have to go with that. Okay. Well, tell me about that. Um, And let's, let's take it from there. But when it comes to you specifically, I'd say it's not your, not your job. Yeah. Not taking that on. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's your favorite phrase, Cal. It is. It is. I've been trying to get it stuck in my head since, you know, 2017. It's not working. <laughs> Maybe eventually it'll make sense for me and I'll listen. Yes. It's, just, yeah. it's very interesting. It's very, very interesting to me. Well, it's hard too when you care about somebody and you want them right. to be better. It's hard to not make it your job, you know, but it, you can't. But it's hard. And I think something too that like, no one really talks about the time and the space between when someone sets a boundary and when the other person maybe acknowledges that boundary. That's a weird gray area that a lot of people don't talk about and don't know how to navigate myself included. It really is day by day. Yeah. Then it can be very confusing beyond, you know, if it's not talked about, because all of a sudden it's like, well, what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, why is this dynamic so different and you're absolutely yes you're absolutely right um and so i think part of you know boundaries in general is you know absolutely you have to be able to to talk about that with the other person Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean they're going to understand yeah and i think that's part of it just because like i might be ready to set a boundary doesn't mean that they're ready to accept that or understand it or even have those conversations because that's that's Mm -hmm. something that i always face too is that just because I'm ready doesn't mean the other person is. So how do you then move forward? Because my natural instinct is to just say, okay, I'm going to just go do me, <laughs> you know? So I don't know if that's right or wrong. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's helping to do that. So, because again, you know, it's, that's the boundary mm-hmm. that you're setting. Yeah. So, you know, of course, if you, um, if they don't understand, and then it, oftentimes you will see this, right, with clients where, they feel the need to, you know, be loose on that boundary or whatever language they want to, you know, associate with it, you know, and we'll talk about that in a session where it's like, well, okay, 
you know, I, sure, I didn't follow through on this or I allowed it this time. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Or I felt bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of a lot of guilt, a lot of yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. comes with that. So again, it's just practice. Yeah, yeah. Boundaries are difficult, but challenging. Yeah, boundaries are hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, and maybe like so thinking about it as like, so what do you need? Mm-hmm. Like, what what are the basic needs that you have to make the relationship survivable? Mm. Mm. Right. Like, most people want the other person to understand, right? Is it a need? Is it a need for that relationship to survive? Mm -hmm. Right. For some people, it may absolutely be depending on what it is, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times it might not be. It's a really strong want. Yeah. Yeah. Reframing like what, what a boundary is, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Because boundary has like such a strong, like, I don't know. Yeah, I picture like an iron gate. <laughs> like that's where I am. I'm like nothing can come in or or out. Like that's that's how I think of boundaries, and maybe that's my own. Like that's maybe not the best way to look at it necessarily. Well, I, th- I mean, I think that's just how like when a term like that is because mm-hmm. it, it it should be it's a positive thing, right? It so is. being able to like it feel is. empowered to say yeah. this is what I need mm-hmm. to feel safe, and and in order to like maintain this relationship. Yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. really good advice. I guess. see why you guys have your own practice. <laughs> <laughs> too funny. Gosh, y'all, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. I know we're past time. I don't want to 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 keep you guys. Oh yeah. Quiet. Oh gosh. <laughs> Flew by. So much to talk about. But um, yeah. Where can people find you? <laughs> um, how can people get to know you? I mean, yeah, all the stuff. So our website yeah. is uh, just nobilitywellness.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, so we can practice in Minnesota mm-hmm. because of licensing boards and all of that. Um, so all across the state right now, you know, pretty accessible because of telehealth. Right. Um, yep. I think that's probably the best. Yeah. The best yeah. Way. All of our contact information is spread on the website. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you guys well, so thank much you, for coming on. So much. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for inviting us. It was a great time. Absolutely. Well, we will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HTC community. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo and click around on our links to find ways that you can get involved. And don't forget, you can join us every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Central for Coffee and Conversation on Instagram Live. Talk, talk soon. soon.